Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we can't be with you in person this morning, but at least we can be here to give you the message from God's Word. Today, we begin a new series looking at Mark chapter 1, uh, the second half of the chapter, and it's entitled, Jesus, a Man of Authority. Now, the word authority doesn't usually have very positive connotations for us. You might think of it like a police officer who is looking over your shoulder, just waiting for you to do something wrong. Authority is often seen as something big, powerful, overbearing. But think of the following situation. You've just had a medical test and the results have come back and they're not good. Would you like to have a doctor scratching their head saying, well, I'm not sure what these results mean. Or would you rather have a doctor who spoke with authority, even if it is bad news? Or imagine this, you're 30,000 feet in the air in an aeroplane and it starts to have engine trouble. Would you like to have a pilot who picks up the public address and says, OK, everybody, it's time to panic? Or would you rather have one who speaks with authority? When we're in a crisis, we long to know that there is someone in authority who knows what's going on, who knows what to do and can get on with it. And Jesus is this sort of authority figure. And you know what? The crowds loved him and they flocked to him because of it. We're going to see over the next three weeks how Jesus exercises this authority. Today, he's in the synagogue in Capernaum and we see his authority in his teaching and his command over impure spirits. Next week, uh, Linda will be giving the message, and we'll see Jesus' authority to heal Simon's mother-in-law. We'll also see him healing the crowd who come to the door that evening, and also discover the source of Jesus' authority, which is prayer. It is his relationship with the Father which gives him his authority. And then in week three, we will see Jesus' authority over leprosy. This again is a story of healing. Uh, and the context in the first century is that it's much more than just physical healing. It was actually about reconnecting a person back into their community after they had been healed. In many ways, I think COVID is the leprosy of the 21st century. So this passage might have some particular relevance for us as we look at it in a couple of weeks. But now our passage this morning, Mark 1, 21 to 28. We see here Jesus' authority, firstly in his teaching, and then secondly his power over this impure spirit. Firstly, teaching. When Jesus went into the synagogue in Capernaum that Sabbath, we're told that he taught the people as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. So what does that mean? Well, from the rest of the Gospel record, it would seem that the teachers of the law taught with a strict outward observance of the law, but with no understanding of the inner righteousness of the law. So they were big on things like keeping the Sabbath, food laws, ritual washings before eating and tithing. But Jesus tells us in, in Matthew's Gospel they could do all these things, but they failed to show justice and mercy and faithfulness. Later on in Mark's Gospel, Jesus calls them hypocrites. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah to them. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So you see, for the teachers of the law, as long as you kept the traditions and the rules, you were doing okay. But then Jesus comes along, and yes, he upholds the traditions and the rules. However, he wanted people to see their purpose. Their purpose was to lead them into a relationship with the living God. An intimate and direct relationship with the Creator God. And therefore, you can see his teaching had authority which the teachers of the law totally missed. So we see Jesus here teaching in Capernaum. He's teaching with authority. And then in verse 23, a man who was possessed by an impure spirit walks in. The crowd are about to discover this Jesus who has, has authority over the spiritual world of demons. It's an interesting encounter. The impure spirit knows who Jesus is. And he knows Jesus at two levels. Firstly, he refers to him as Jesus of Nazareth. This recognises Jesus' humanity. He's a man who has, a family, who has family roots in Nazareth. But then the Spirit reveals a whole lot more. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And this declares Jesus' divine status as the Holy One of God. It's very insightful, really, isn't it? But not surprising. Because you see, the demons understand the spiritual world. They understand the spiritual battle, which is our human existence in this world. The demons know that Jesus is their enemy. They know who he is and what they're up against. And you can see that recognition in their question, have you come to destroy us? So they know this is about a battle. The people may have been slow to catch on, but Jesus and the demon, they know the full spiritual reality here and who Jesus really is, that he is the Holy One of God. In verse 25, Jesus simply says to the Spirit, Be quiet. Well, why should he say that? Wouldn't he want people to hear the message about who he really is, the Holy One of God? For people to discover his true identity? Well, obviously he doesn't want them to know at this stage. Because you see, these are early days in his ministry. Next week, uh, we're going to discover Jesus healing and driving out demons at the door of Simon and Andrew's uh, household. And that, on that occasion, we also read that Jesus would not let the demons speak. Because he, they knew who he was. If you look ahead there to verse 34. And then in the third week of the series, Jesus heals a man with leprosy and he says to him, don't tell anyone. So why is Jesus keeping it a secret? Well, I think the reason is probably a very strategic one. He doesn't want his status as the Son of God, the Messiah, to be known too soon. He knows that it is this claim that will take him to the cross. And so he doesn't want that to happen prematurely. He has a lot of teaching about the kingdom of God to do over the next three years. Uh, and at this point in his ministry, he's only chosen four of his apostles. He's still uh, got to choose the rest to complete the twelve. And these will be his apprentices over these three years. The, the ones he will train up who will, after he leaves this earth, go out and change the world. And so he needs time to train them to teach about the kingdom of God.
So this impure spirit might know exactly who he is, but this is not knowledge for the crowds just yet. It's probably too much for them to take in anyway. The crowd note Jesus' authority, that is, to do with the way he taught, but they still have a long way to go to understand the content of his teaching, and especially about his own identity. So the setting here is one of spiritual insight, yes, but also conflict. And Jesus knows this conflict will culminate at the cross, and that the victory will only be fully seen after that, when he rises from the dead on the third day. Uh, And so that's when the conflict will reach its climax, and Jesus knows uh, he has to wait until then to reveal his full glory, his full identity. So Jesus says to this impure spirit, come out of him. And we read that the impure spirit shook the man violently and it, he, it came out with a shriek. And that just reinforces the fact that this is a spiritual conflict. And for Jesus, the battle lines are drawn and he will give this impure spirit no quarter. He issues a command and it comes out. The response of the people is interesting. We're told that they're amazed, which is, I think, what we'd expect. But the interesting bit is that they connect the casting out of the Spirit with his authoritative teaching. In verse 27, they say, What is this? A new teaching, and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. The people recognise Jesus' words and deeds are bound together in a beautiful unity and consistency. The teachers of the law might be hypocrites, but not Jesus. Jesus speaks a word, and it happens. Now this shows us that the kingdom of God, you see, is not just about ideas we think with in our minds. It's not just about ethics that we put into practice in our lives. Of course, it's at least those things. But this passage reveals that the kingdom is so much more. It's about the reign of God over the whole of the universe, over all spiritual and physical reality. The passage reveals to us that there is a great conflict about bringing in this kingdom. There is opposition. And we will see that in the physical world with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But it has its roots in the spiritual world. There are forces of evil at work, much bigger than just a few individuals who do bad things, and much bigger than people who do horrific things. There's a spiritual element uh, to evil in our world. There are principalities and powers, St. Paul talks about. And Jesus engages these powers through both his teaching ministry and through casting out of this impure spirit. And it's all about bringing in the kingdom of God. So how might we apply this passage? Well, firstly, if you feel bothered by spiritual forces that are beyond your control, then you need to seek help. There is spiritual spiritual help available through God's church. There is a need for great discernment in this area. Sometimes issues are physical, and there can be medical reasons for the way you feel. Sometimes the issues are psychological and counselling can bring great insight and help. 
And sometimes there are spiritual forces of darkness and these have to be dealt with with the authority of Jesus. A book that's helped me a lot in this area is Scott Peck's uh, book, The People of the Lie. Scott Peck is a Christian psychiatrist who has thought very deeply about these matters and come to what I consider very balanced conclusions. And so if you have questions in this area, that is certainly a book I would recommend. If you do have personal issues in this area, then why not reach out to a mature Christian who you believe has discernment and seek their counsel and their help. Uh, Certainly, you're very welcome to make an appointment with myself or Linda if you would like to talk about these issues further. But I suspect, however, that for most people, spiritual oppression is linked more to obvious causes. And here what I'm thinking about is things like our current COVID pandemic. This is something outside our normal control that threatens our well-being. There's something very insidious about a disease that has taken so many lives in different countries. The latest statistics I've been able to locate are that it's the United States who leads the uh, list of people who've died. 410,000 deaths in the USA. In Brazil, it's 214,000. India, 153,000. The United Kingdom, 94,000. Italy, 84,000. France, 72,000. Iran, 57,000 people, and so the list goes on. In Australia, 909 people have died. Of course, we are grateful that the impact here has been less, but there are still a lot of grieving families. The people we normally think of as the authorities might be scrambling to get on top of this pandemic, but what a comfort it is for us to know the one who has the final authority. Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. Jesus speaks with authority into every human situation. And to read his words in the Gospels is always to find the stability of the Kingdom of God and the hope that only the King can bring. Another area of great concern at the moment is the rising power of China. China is convinced it is a utopian society which brings much more order and prosperity than the democratic West. China is determined to spread its power and influence by whatever means. And I think there are good reasons to be concerned. Yet, you see, we know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We know the one who ultimately has all power and all authority, not the nations of the world, but the true King, the Lord Jesus. The book of Revelation gives us this picture of the spiritual reality. It says, To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. You see, it is the Lamb, Jesus, who has the authority. He is the one who is worthy because he was prepared to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. He has made a way for people to come into his beautiful kingdom, to be forgiven and enter the kingdom of God. So my friends, wherever you fear the darkness, wherever you're afraid of chaos, take heart from this opening chapter of Mark's Gospel. 
Put yourself in the place of the people of Capernaum in the first century in that synagogue and stand amazed again at Jesus' teaching. Stand amazed as he exercises complete power over the spiritual forces of darkness. And then simply rest in him. Rest in the one who has all authority in his teaching and in his actions, in his words and in his deeds. Put your whole trust in him and find the salvation he offers. So let us pray. Loving Father, we know there are forces at work in our world that are beyond our control and comprehension. Thank you that there is one who does understand and who does have final authority. And thank you for the revelation we have in Scripture of his authority over all the forces of darkness. We acknowledge today Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. Father, bring in the kingdom and make your salvation known to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.